I guess I'll just shout into the void over no, here. I'm, until... No, I'm here. Let me let me comment on Pedro the Lion. Okay, so okay. I thought about it yesterday. I thought, you know what? When a guy mentions a band that many times, it's probably time to just break down and listen. You know, you what just, I mean? well, he has a lot. There's a, okay. <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing about about it is there's there's a lot of different ways you can go. Like it depends on how you want to listen to him because he's got so many different. Like he spans genres, I guess. Like he's he's definitely encompassed. He's under the umbrella of rock, but he branches out into a bunch of different. So, so he's a he. He's yeah. He's, it's it's he, it's one guy, and he does all the instruments. So it's like Jethro Tull. It's a, like a little bit, yeah. Cage the elephant. It's like kind of yeah, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Um, except he records all the instruments and then hires a touring band. Um, he has a couple of people who he tours with consistently, like. Uh, uh, T. William Walsh, who was part of the um, Arctic Monkeys for a little bit, did the drums on that. But um, I have heard he, of the Arctic Monkeys for sure. Yeah, so he's he. I mean, well, David Bazan, which is Pedro, does a lot of back work for a lot of people, a lot of leg work, a lot of writing. Yeah. Um, but uh, yes, definitely. So if you're into like harder stuff, I could show you his harder album. If you want something like slower, a little bit more songwriter oriented, I could show you that. If you want something a little bit more, I mean, there's options. We can do like experimental stuff. You can do really like heavy lyrically based stuff. It's just there's options here. So you just got to let me know now, what you're now into. I'm, now I'm wondering if if Craig broke down and listened to it or not. He did. He did he actually. Did? Yeah. He. I. I think so. I know I'm Craig's. Impressed. Yeah. Well, he's been sending me stuff too, man. He's emailing me like oh, crazy. Craig. Craig will email you. Yeah, he will. He will. I need to actually get back to him. I forgot to email him back. He sent me a band and a couple of his songs a couple days ago, and I forgot to get back to him. Yeah. But well, yeah. let's get let's get Joe on the phone as soon as you're yes, ready, and, yep. and let's do Rockopedia. What's the what's the phone number? It yeah. is. Or actually, maybe maybe don't maybe don't say his phone number on the air. Maybe just write it down and bring it over here so that we don't uh, we don't get into any trouble, any privacy trouble here. That would be. That would be unfortunate, actually. Um, if you just want to go ahead and type that in, actually, right there, um, so that we can get that phone number going. Joe we'll just give him a call. A, yep. Joe has a New Orleans phone because that's where he came from most recently. Yeah. Over um, he, from. He currently lives in Richmond, Virginia. So we're uh, so we, he's he's calling in all the way from Virginia. We're getting uh, we're getting a crazy crazy thing here. Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> All right, let's see what happens here. This is the first, right? This is the our first hotline yep. call. Yeah, it is our first hotline call, actually. I believe, or wait, no, we had we had one other person not too not too long ago, right? I guess it was a little while ago. It was the uh, the day that we did the giveaway for the tickets. Oh, yep, yep. yeah. Is he answering? I'm not, sure. not answering. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I'm just sitting here listening to you guys. I'm just How listening you to you guys ramble on. I'm doing great. How's it going? Let's adjust some set let's adjust some settings real quick. Yeah. I had to turn it down. I had you guys really loud there for a minute. Do you need me to uh, talk while you're adjusting? Right. So you know what you're adjusting to? Yeah. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, sirs. Hey, so everybody, this is my brother, Joe Santiago. He is the special guest this morning. <laughs> I am special. Yeah, uh, well, he's, spe he's, he's two things. He's special and he's a guest. <laughs> it, it just works. It works. <laughs> hey, so I already talked to Joe a little bit about what we're doing today. So this is week three of Rockopedia. Pedia, 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 Pedia. 
<laughs> sweet, sweet effects, guys. So sweet, sweet effects. Yeah, we covered uh, Motley Crue the first week. Um, that same day, coincidentally, we covered a lot of ground as far as where do those guys come from, what do they grow up with, who who's Nikki Six, and and what inspired him to be who he was. Uh, so we talked about Los Angeles. When you talk about Los Angeles, you talk about Van Halen. And then guess what happened that afternoon? Oh, yeah. We, yeah. we, we lost a legend. Yeah. Joe, what'd you, where were you at that day? I was sitting in my room going on my, thumbing through my phone. And uh, I came across, uh, I don't think it was TMZ. It was something else that said Eddie Van Halen had passed. I knew he was sick, but I was like, oh, that can't be real. Like, I just don't trust anything on the internet. I need proof. And that's when I sent you a text. I was like, hey, what do you know about this? And then you sent me the TMZ link. I was like, whoa, like, that's a real thing. Like, and, and, you know, it's funny that you had Craig on last week because I immediately thought of Craig. Yeah. Like, that's just a automatic. Well, we all know. And now Dylan knows and the world knows that when you talk about Van Halen and you talk about Mike Santiago, Eddie's in there. You know, yeah, Craig, yeah, Eddie's yeah. In there. Craig's in there, yeah, which is incredible, by the way. I didn't know that you had that kind of connection with with all of that, and then really getting somebody in here who had seen it firsthand for such a yeah. long period of time is incredible. It was it was a really good interview. I really enjoyed it. Actually, I thought it was I thought it was fun to listen to Craig again. You get him talking. Yeah, <laughs> I told I told Dylan, you know, sometimes Craig calls my my phone and I I decline <laughs> because I know it's going to be a two hour conversation and sometimes I can't do two hours yeah well, I, I can do two hours he and I did two we, we did an hour and a half actually it was it was pretty cool I stayed with Craig after Katrina I went to Austin and stayed at his place and then uh, we drove up to Dallas or towards Dallas and we met uh, mom halfway and that hour and a half, two hour drive or whatever it was. Yeah. Like Craig had a million stories to tell. Yes, he does. Um, so I told everybody that when I was calling your phone number and we didn't give it over the air, but I told him, I said, Joe's got a five zero four area code because he recently lived in new Orleans. Now he lives in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah. But but this guy, you have lived in Phoenix, Wichita, Seattle, Portland, Milwaukee, Milwaukee, yeah, New Orleans, yeah, and now Richmond. I get around. You're a mover and a stretcher. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. You really have been all around, huh? Yeah. Hey, Dylan. So so this guy right here, he's just about like Craig as far as stories. You want to talk about Seattle and Portland? He, he really? saw it. He, wait, wait, what t- he's done it. He's what time there. were you hanging around in Portland and Seattle? Because there, there was a real resurgence in... Early 90s, late 80s, early early 90s? Yeah. I, I didn't get to Portland until like 95, but at that time, there was bands like Everclear in Portland, uh, Dead Moon, if you know who Dead Moon is, they're amazing. Um, 
And when I got to Seattle, there was like the Murder City Devils, Death Cab for Cutie, yeah, Modest yeah. Mouse. That's, you know, that that's scene all was stuff. happening. Pretty Girls Made Graves, like that, that kind of stuff. And I worked with all those guys. Like all those guys in those bands, I worked in bars with those guys. Like I knew all those dudes. Wow, that's you actually know? incredible. So, yeah, it was, it was a pretty good time, actually. I mean, it was after the whole grunge thing, but there was still so much music in Seattle at the time. It was insane. Well, yeah, I, during that time, you mentioned like uh, Death Cab and stuff. Um, I mean... A lot of those kinds of bands. Um, actually, I was talking to uh, I was talking to Mike earlier. There's this band Pedro the Lion, who was also coming out yeah. of Seattle at the time. I, I saw those guys back then. Yeah, they played a place called. They're still, they're, wow! They're so Joe people. just trumped me. Yeah, he, he did. He yeah, he did. I'm sorry to like Joe more. I'm sorry to like Joe more. Oh my yeah. god! So I have a question about those guys. Are they like a Christian band? Okay, so we we could dig into this for a long time. Actually, um, <laughs> we could dig into this for a long time. But yeah. uh, so Pedro the Lion started as like a Christian indie band, and right. as he kind of progressed he fell out of the church and a lot okay. of a lot of his stuff he kind of is like dealing with that and he a lot of his songs sound like breakup songs but really it's him like breaking up with his right. faith and stuff and it's a it's a very interesting progression huh. um to like see his albums as he gets older um they go from dealing with heartbreak to then dealing with questioning your faith and then questioning your marriage and then question like it's it's always some sort of how am i going to process this recording because if i remember right the label they were on was like pretty much a christian based label yeah it was for a while yeah yeah. Okay. I, I wasn't positive on that. I, but as soon as you said Pedro the Lion, I heard that. I was like, oh, I think I saw those guys. And, and I was remembering it was like, yeah, I saw them at Graceland, <laughs> which is the old off ramp, which is like, I don't know. That's a whole Seattle thing. Anyway. So Joe, Joe worked at the Croc. The Crocodile Club, the cool people call yeah. it the Croc, right? The Croc. <laughs> I'm one of those cool guys, just so you know. Yeah, I can I tell. Call it, I, call it the, I call it the Croc. Oh, okay. Only only the people on the inn call it the Croc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, it's, it's like if you were in Vietnam, you can say Nam, but if you weren't, you can't say Nam. <laughs> <laughs> like Frisco, San Francisco, same thing. You can't call it Frisco if you're not from yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and we were born in the ICT. Yeah, like the insane clown town. The insane clown town. <laughs> ICP. Oh, I, that's a, that's a, okay. All right, all right. So, anyways, we're uh, we're here to get to get us kind of on track here. We're today we're yeah. talking about the Stones, talking about the Rolling Stones. Uh, yes. Mike was really adamant about talking about the time that he had first really heard the Stones with the album Some Girls. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's that's, that's the first album we owned, and I. Thank my brother Joe for for plopping down his seven dollars and ninety nine cents at the base exchange, which you're familiar with. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I had we, we grew up with the Stones. I mean, I can remember being in Missouri on vacation with Granny and Granddad, and hearing Brown Sugar on the radio. Oh yeah, yeah. And then so that, on and, go ahead. The week that that album came out, it was it had just been my birthday. It was my twelfth birthday, and and I remember I had like birthday money, which when you're twelve years old, twenty dollars is a lot of money, especially in '78. So I went. I'd been like on a Stones, like I was more into the. Um, 
the visuals of the stones because back then we used to read cream magazine a lot and in cream magazine you'd see the new york dolls you would see the sex pistols the mc5 the stooges and they all had this certain like look about them and the stones kind of had that they kind of got their look from the stones especially the new york dolls so i had this like fascination with the way they looked and their whole like lifestyle so when I got that money and that album came out, I went and bought it like as soon as I could. And it was the first album I actually paid money for. I never, I always stole albums before that. <laughs> I was, I was, uh, Mike taught me well. I was really good at it. Um, but yeah, it was the first album I actually went out and paid money for. And um, I played it nonstop. Like I couldn't stop listening to it. Like I listened to it last night because I left my phone at work and it sounds terrible because that album is so old and it's been played so many times. It's just all scratchy. It's it's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, that album. Like it led me on a path. Like it, it put me on a path to that style of music, which led to the New York Dolls style that I love so much. Yeah. And like it's to me, it's it's like a punk rock album. It's like the Rolling Stones punk rock album. It, it definitely was. Um, and, you know, it's it's funny that you mentioned that it's a punk rock album um, because uh, Mick Jagger actually went on and was talking about how a lot of like the whole punk movement, the whole uh, the whole disco movement was the inspiration for that album. And he yeah. was saying, oh, yeah, like we love the Ramones. They were spending a lot of time in New York at the time that the album, right. like around the time the album was being recorded. Weeks uh, of New York. And Mick Jagger was like, oh, yeah, I love the Stone. I love the New York Dolls, but they just can't play. And it's all about the energy that they put off. And so he's like, why don't we just do that? But we actually play. We actually come up, you know, we have we have the skills. Right. We have the uh, we have the chops for it. And why not just bring the attitude into this album? And that kind of like alienated a lot of people. But it also sprung the Rolling Stones back into the forefront. I went to work today and to pick up my phone and the guy I was talking to, he was like, you know, some girls is the album that my dad had. He had all the stones album, but that was the last one he bought. And I think he didn't like it. I'm like, well, yeah, because it was different. Like it had a more, it had a more uh, in your face attitude. Like it was more punk rock. And he was like, that's why I liked it. (laughs) It was the one my dad didn't like. So it was the one I liked. Yeah, they were never afraid to change. They never were afraid to uh, um, roll with the punches, so to speak, and, and just and, and just freak everybody out, so to speak. But they, you know, um, it was it was it was the discos. It was seventies. It was. Uh, <laughs> Totally different. They had to, they kind of had to do something to get some attention. And well, the disco thing, really, if you think about it, is really only Miss You. That's the only song on there that that has that. It's yeah. like you know they they did Emotional Rescue next, and that song's the same way. It's it's like Miss You. It's just got yep. that and four four beat did. that disco From Ron beat. Stewart yeah. To yeah, whoever everybody did Kiss. At least one disco song. You had to. Kiss. It was the time. Yeah, Kiss. Yeah, yep, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I was made for loving you. Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's what they did back then. So if you go through uh, the, I got the I got the track list pulled up here in front of me. So if you look at it, you're, you're talking about the track number one, "Miss You." Okay, that's yeah. what we're talking about. Number two, "When the Whip Comes Down," that is punk rock. Yeah, that's definitely punk rock. That's yeah, that's that's aggressive as shit. And, and, then, and it's Mick Jagger singing. Like it, it made me realize that Mick Jagger singing was very like influential on the British punk rock scene, <laughs> and not just on this album. Not just on this album, like always. 
I mean, yeah. the stones, the stones and Helter Skelter can pretty much pin. You can pretty much pin punk rock on those two, those two happenings, you know, and especially yeah. with, yeah. I feel like a lot of the attitude that Mick Jagger brought the and also. a lot of the like in your face, here it is. That's, that is what brought about punk rock. Um, yeah. Stint. I mean, obviously I think the sex pistols were probably a little bit more in that, but they were obvious. They were definitely influenced by the stones. So, yeah, I mean, punk rock was basically just blues chords, you know, it's, it's still blues chords. It's, it's still it's blues still rock. Is, yeah. It's just, just loud and like more aggressive aggressive and like fuzzed out you know but it's definitely just blues yeah you know like those chords are different you know what to be honest with you when you bought the sun girls album that was at the time when the sex pistols were out there okay yeah they, yeah just probably the same year or maybe a year before and i'll just be honest with you i was a little hesitant to accept it to listen to it um but then once you do, it's it's Bill Haley the Comet sped up. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not scary. The Ramones are <laughs> the Ramones. Are you scared of punk, Mike? <laughs> are you scared I, of I, punk? I didn't know what to think of it. I was Alice Cooper guy. I was Kiss guy. I was Ted Nugent. I was Aerosmith. I was the, the, the Ramones are basically the Beach Boys sped up. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, any any punk band is really just like this riff but slower, or this riff but faster, and then like throw yeah. a di- throw a throw a distortion pedal on it. That's that's it. The Ramones and the New York Dolls turned me on to uh, girl groups, you know, like uh, Phil Spector stuff, because that's what they did. Like they did a lot of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's it, yeah. And Phil Spector, that's a uh, whole another show for that's another. Whole, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We can, it's a whole other yeah. world. Hey, so yeah. track number three, just my imagination. Wonderful, good lord. I, the I temptations. Have a, I have a great story about that. So <laughs> I was in. It was like the year that I I was back in school. I was guess I was in the seventh grade. Um, I did. I don't know. I did something in school or I brushed my teeth wrong. I don't know. Something. Mom was yelling at me about something, and uh, and uh, she said to me when she was yelling at me, she said, "She said you have a one track mind." And the first, if she was talking about music, because that's all I did. She's like, "All you do is listen to music." Blah, blah blah. You have a one track mind, and it struck me right then and there that there's a song in just my imagination. There's a line where he says, "I have a one track mind," and I could never figure that line out, but. Mom showed it to me. <laughs> yeah, she was just, she was I'll so add right. To that real quick, not not bagging on mom by any means, love her to death. But <laughs> she she one time told me the same thing in a sort of way. She said, "How can you remember the lyrics yeah. to a song? How can you remember Classic. the record label that that they recorded it on? But you can't remember your math or your English or your yeah, because uh, it's not important, I guess." Hey, hey, no. <laughs> It's not. No, it's not. Why would, why would I need to know that whenever I can instead know how many, uh, you know, how many albums The Stones sold in 1967? You know, why? why what is the point? I got, it's, it's more important. I think it Joe is. and I had our priorities in place. Yeah. I mean, you've gotten this far. So yes. track, track number four, Some Girls. Um, that is... 
That song doesn't hold up very well. It's a lyrical, <laughs> lyrical genius. Yeah, but but uh, I don't think you can play that in front of anybody. No, anymore. you can't. No, you can't. <laughs> it's no, not very it's, woke. It's a great story. It's a uh, it's mixed life. It's uh, yeah. his opinion of the female. Yeah, you know, it's just yeah. It, it does. I, I listened to it last night for the first time in a while, and I was like, yeah, that doesn't hold up very well. Uh, it's not a, <laughs> there's some things in there he shouldn't be saying track number five lies you dirty Jezebel. yeah yeah that's that's another punk rock that's another like straight punk song just like aggressive fast screaming you know not understanding a word mix says as usual that's what we're yeah. here for you know that's what we do it yeah for. yeah <laughs> it's good stuff like lies is one of the best songs on there I love that song. And then uh, number six, "Far Away Eyes." It's it's funny. It's uh, it's it's making fun of country music. It's making fun of gospel, uh, but they're having a good time with it. They're not really making fun, I guess. I shouldn't say that. No, they're not. They're 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 joining it. They're becoming a part of it. And that was from their um, who was that? Who was that? Grant Parsons. I mean, yeah. It's all yeah. stems from that. Well, Keith Richards had a problem with Mick Jagger and country music. Uh, Keith Richards said that Mick Jagger never took it seriously. And when he would sing it, he would like take the piss of it on it. And just like not, you know, and that bothered Keith Richards. He always wanted it to be more serious because Keith Richards loved country music. Mick Jagger always just took it as a joke. Well, their country so, stuff was great. I mean, look at, yeah. look at Wild Horses. Oh, yeah. That, that whole album's got some good country stuff on it. Yeah, and Country Honk on Let It Bleed. Country that's Honk, fun. yep. Yeah, that's great stuff. Well, hallelujah. Stuff. Thank God for Keith. Yeah, yeah, he did good stuff. All right, let's do track number seven, Respectable. Another punk classic. Yeah, <laughs> I know, the, yeah, I know that people are probably... I know that people are probably like, "Go, these stones are not punk rock," but like, it's just—it's weird. It just kind of is, like, I especially at the you, time. Yeah, you can you can have a song that's punk rock, but I think a lot of whenever people say, "Oh, that's not punk rock," I think it's more the idea of punk rock. It, it's yeah. hard for like a massive, you know, hugely influential and like world-renowned band to be punk rock because it's not—it's not the grit, you know. It's not—it's not playing, you know. 10 person bar to two people who are going to throw a beer bottle at you because you played everything wrong. That's it's like just it's like to say that like like when people that listen to Bad Religion or Green Day, you know, those are two different bands but they're kind of the sound the same and then you listen to the New York Dolls, you know, that they sound nothing like those bands but they consider like if you listen to the New York Dolls now people would be like that's not punk rock. Yeah, but it was like, at the time. Yeah, think, but it was totally punk Day rock. Really I mean, this is a whole different conversation. I think Bad Religion is definitely a little bit more punk rock than yeah, Green Day. Yeah. But, you know. I just tried to think of bands people knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much anything on Epitaph is yeah. relatively punk, yeah. It's, a, it's, there's, it's just a different style, and that's what the thing with this is. It's not really the style, it's the attitude that goes into the song. Like, you can just feel it, and it's there. It's aggressive, yeah. and like, yeah. and it's, and I don't know. know. I, I got the whole... 10 song set list or 10 song um, list of songs in front of me and it just 
it just screams New York. So it was the city. Oh, yeah. It was where they were. It yeah, was well, what they he, were doing. Yeah. That, was, that was where Mick Jagger wrote most of this stuff. Yeah. And this is also during the time that it was being written. Keith Richards was like bouncing in and out of dr- jail because he had been, uh, you know, caught with heroin. <laughs> so he was yeah. having it. This was one of the first albums that Mick Jagger really had to like write himself almost. And it was also the first album that Ronnie Wood was a guitarist on. Or at least for the full album. So there was a lot of uh, it was it was a lot of different things that had to go on to make this thing happen. There was a lot. Of, it was kind of a lightning in a jar kind of situation where it's like they couldn't really get this sound. I don't think at any other point in time. I think the Ron Wood thing is really important too because uh, this is the first time that Keith Richards had a guitar player that played like him. Yeah, he always had he always had guitar players that played a different style, which you know was good. Especially Mick Taylor was great. Like he was probably my favorite. Those albums are genius. Yeah, yeah. I I, I choose Mick Taylor. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just like it was genius what they did. But when Ron Wood came along, they had the same style of guitar playing. So this is kind of what you got is like two guys kind of like just playing rhythms and like well, that made it they're difference. famous they're famous for the weave yeah and really, i and i didn't understand yeah. what that was yeah but then yeah. i started paying more attention to it and i've also listened to had some it. isolated tracks yeah you hear what keith's doing by himself it's like dude that guy is just running the whole show quietly yeah and i mean you hear you <laughs> You hear that come out in a lot of like modern guitarists now too. I mean, completely different genre here, but I'm just spitballing in terms of examples here. But John Mayer does that a lot as well. Yeah. Um, you'll hear you'll hear the rhythm based, and then he'll weave in a lead, and it'll sound like two guitars are playing, but it's really just one person. You know, you gotta one of the, one of the biggest things that I ever got um, whenever I was kind of going through and really trying to get my chops down on guitar was that a lead player is playing rhythm for eighty percent of the song, and then and 20% of the yeah. you're playing lead. And Slash and Izzy did that too in Guns N' Roses. Those guys, they did the weave like to perfection. Those guys were great at it. Yeah. And then and they didn't try to outdo each other? No. No, that was definitely not they, a thing. They blended. Yeah. yeah. Track number eight, ladies and gentlemen, my favorite song, and I think my brother Joe will agree with me, <laughs> Before They Make Me Run. Anytime Keith Richards sings, when Keith Richards sings, I'm listening. Like, yeah. he's something else. That guy is amazing. But yeah, the whole booze and pills and powders. Booze and like, pills and powders. And, and I hate to say it, but like, this, I mean, it's just what attracted me to the Rolling Stones was Keith Richards, like, I'm going to say it. It was his drug use. Like, just to watch that guy, like, just live. <laughs> just <laughs> been, his mind. Yeah. yeah. Just it's just like, well, how do you do that? Like, it was impressive to me. And, like, as a kid, you just, I kind of idolized that. Like, it's what I idolized the punk rock scene for. It was just the image. It was the aesthetic of it. And, like, he had that aesthetic, and I liked it. Well, I mean, he didn't just have the aesthetic. He was living. I mean, that song oh, was yeah. about him being in jail because of heroin. They were, yeah. it wasn't just the aesthetic. They were living it, man. It was, I, but that, that whole scene, you know, 70s, 80s rock is really heavily based in drug use, obviously. I mean, yeah, yeah it obviously, was. Obviously. But I mean, it's just, it was just a different, it was a different type of thing. And I think it created that aesthetic, whether they wanted to or not, just because yeah. everybody was so out of their minds. Everybody was so, you know, just incredibly high all the time that it, you inadvertently create that aesthetic. And magazines and newspapers love to, like, you know, print that. 
You know, they like yeah. to get that out there because it sells papers and like it made it bigger than it probably. Well, I'm not going to say bigger than it probably was, but it definitely brought it out to the forefront in some cases. And that was not good. There's actually a video. Um, it's a documentary. And I, I can't remember which one it is, but you might remember um, Mick Jagger was backstage with Dick Cavett. And Dick oh, yeah. Cavett was Dick, remember? And he had a, yep. and a tray, a silver platter full of pills. <laughs> and they were and he said, what around. are those? He said vitamins. <laughs> yeah, <crazy>. Vitamins. <laughs> vitamins. They were vitamins. Oh, it's hilarious. I saw that. I was like, are you seriously showing us that right now? <laughs> On the Dick Cavett show? <laughs> yeah. Just... <laughs> I mean, but that's what it was. No, it was and, crazy. And, and we got to see one percent of it. Oh, oh yeah, and it's it's crazy. I mean, even even like Freddie Mercury used to have naked girls with platters on their head, full of cocaine, walking around his house at all times. At all times, that is uh, amazing. I just, I just lo- I started loving it more. Yeah, I mean, I, it's just, I, I don't know, man. Like they, they were crazy. Aerosmith, uh, Joe Perry used to roll up balls of opium and put them in his shirt pocket and take them yeah. after the show immediately afterwards and just uh. sit in a dark room, record for. I mean, they, they people back then were. It, it was just a different. It was a different level. Yeah. He had a tailor. He had a tailor that made uh, shirts for him or jackets for him that had like little pockets. Yeah, that and he that's, could that's like why, keep drugs uh, in. That's why Steven Tyler had the scarves on his yeah. uh, microphone as well. He had his wife at the time sewing little pockets so that he could take stuff on stage yeah we call him we call him joe rary <laughs> joe rary he signed he signed a dollar bill so track number nine beast of burden classic yeah that's classic that's like a radio hit all the way and it should be because it's just a great song like yeah i mean the checks they get off that alone pays Are, the bills yeah yeah i think a lot of yeah. things from the stones pay the bills i don't i don't think they gotta worry too much you if know you, they, they you, talk about let's talk about that real quick the money they get so they were one of the smart ones they smart managers they they made good decisions and got good deals and made good money i can't tell you how many stories of of popular bands almost as big as the stones that lost their butt oh yeah yeah Yeah. these guys were smart they were smart they were also selling man i mean they they still are they i mean yeah they still are i'm gonna buy buy something next week yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) but here's the thing is like some girls was their most which is surprising but it's still their most selling album in the united states they sold six million wow copies i had no idea thousand Huh. That's amazing. I had no idea that that was the case. Yeah. They, I mean, this album really brought them back in the United States. They, they were on the decline pretty heavily. And then some girls came out, threw them back in. And then, you know, they had like tattoos come out and everything. I mean, a lot of people thought that they didn't have anything good come out since Exile. And That's funny. People, you, you said that to me earlier. It's like they were on the decline. I don't ever remember them being on the decline. I think they were just well going through that change, the 60s, 70s, now the 80s. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. This is this is also the time the tour where they actually played stadiums. And if I remember correctly, Mike, you went to Phoenix that year and they played Sun Devil Stadium. Um, uh, no, they they played. That's where they that's where they made the movie. But I, w- I didn't live there at the time. No, you didn't live there. You went to go visit dad. Yeah. 
Yeah, and but, uh, you yeah. sent me you sent me a recording from the. Oh, TV you know news. what? I'll tell you what it was. <laughs> I'll tell you what it was. I was fourteen, fifteen, and Dad yep. took me to the Grand Canyon, and we spent the night at a hotel. Um, got no, the next a, day, I, I found your ticket. It says Arrowhead Stadium. But well, that was that was a different one. Oh, okay. But but when I was younger, I went to Arizona and they played in Tucson, and Linda Ronstadt got up on stage and did yep. Tumbling Dice with them. Yep. And it was on the news. It was like a it was like a two minute piece on the news. So you know, last night in Tucson, Arizona, the Rolling Stones yeah. played. Yeah. It was pretty cool. Yeah. That was, and just, can, just sitting in a hotel room at 14 years old, watching that was was pretty cool. Because that ain't happening in Wichita, Kansas. Yeah, that's not definitely <laughs> not a thing. Not in the ICT. No. So that was, that yeah, was real but, cool. But yeah, they did start playing stadiums after the Some Girls album. No, the first time I saw them, and that's what Dylan was just saying, Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, what year, Dylan? It was 89, I think. 89. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I went up there with my current bandmates at the time. I believe Michael Lacey and Zach Nicholson were there. Uh, they may have brought some girls with them. I'm not sure. They brought but, some uh, girls to see some girls. Yeah. <laughs> that was actually the, uh, what tour was that? Steel Wheels, maybe? Steel Wheels. Yeah, that was Steel Wheels because I was supposed to go okay, to that so show I, and move to Phoenix. Let me, tell you, let me tell you the heartbreaking part of this. And, and I... I shouldn't take it personally, but they started out the show show with a start me up. I hate that. Mm. <laughs> that's, a, that's a dagger in the heart. Yeah. Come on, guys. But, but you know what? They won me back over when um, Mick Jagger put on the gold long, uh, what do they call it? Long. LeMay, LeMay jacket, shiny, yeah. shiny gold jacket. Yeah. And, and came out and did, uh, um, gosh dang, what's this, what's the, what's the slow song? Do they have a handful. Oh, it's not painted black. It's not painted black. It's, uh, what's the Marianne Faithful? Oh, uh, not Ruby Tuesday. Um, Ruby Tuesday. Yeah. Ruby Tuesday. Okay. So he came out in the gold jacket and did Ruby Tuesday. I'm telling you what, that was worth every penny I spent on that ticket. That's so all it took. I- to go back to before they make me run, speaking of the Kansas City show, um, Mike had the wherewithal to call me from Arrowhead Stadium when Keith Richards got up and did Happy. Oh, cool. So so back the then, you know, he used the payphone. <laughs> he used the payphone at Arrowhead Stadium to call me up and held it out so I could hear him seeing Happy. And then after Happy was before they make me run. So he kept the phone out for me. <laughs> wow. That's the Is that insane or what? Like, that's how stupid we were back then. <laughs> no, that's, no, that's how devoted we that, were. No, that's yeah. really love. What do you that's mean? Just, yeah, that's, that's yeah. It's crazy to think that's, that that was a that's thing. How right? wrong, that's how wrong your mom was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's just crazy. Yeah, I tell yeah. Dylan, I tell him those stories all the time about you know before the internet, before cell phones, we used to do stuff like this, and that's a perfect example. Yeah, yeah, I got on the payphone, yeah. called you, and held the phone out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine all the people walking by going, "Man, I should do that too." Good times. <laughs> hey, so the last song, track Shattered. number ten, Shattered yeah. Shadoobie. 
that's 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 all new york right there that song yeah. is all about new york man yeah. yeah i love that song that guitar sound that he gets on there is uh it, it's a sound that like if you listen even on beast of burden that guitar sound that he does it's really specific to this album you can hear it throughout the album but it's just not as emphasized as it is on shattered shattered has a very cool sound to it like especially back then it was like whoa this is a crazy guitar run like it was insane and it was it was almost like a rebel song like that that's not gonna work it's not gonna it's not gonna make it it's gonna be a b-side for the rest of its life and guess what it didn't it stepped yeah. up yeah, it stepped up. People liked it. Yeah. I was surprised. So like the guys I was talking about that I went to the uh, Arrowhead Stadium show with, Zach and Mike, when I was in that band, we did Shattered. And uh, it, got a, it got a good turnout every night. Every night we played it, people <laughs> dug it, man. And we... Yeah. Of course, we played it at midnight or one o'clock in the morning. It was one of the one of the closing. One of the so closing everybody's songs. digging everything at that point. Yeah. It doesn't matter what yeah. you play. What I remember of it. This, this cocaine makes me think this song is awesome. Who? I said this cocaine is making me think this song is awesome. Uh. <laughs> maybe maybe we should not. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Freddie Mercury. Yes, sir. Yeah. 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 Well, actually, never mind. <laughs> hey, so I got to get back to work. Uh, I right on. Show's over. We usually do this from ten to ten thirty, and it's ten thirty-eight. Yeah, we we did run over a little bit, but it's always okay to go. That's okay. Way. Yeah. All right. Cool. That's cool. Joe, All thank right, well, you guys, so much. Thanks. Thank you. That was fun. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Call Joe. Appreciate we'll, you. We'll do Dylan, it again. It was nice we'll do it again. Anytime Dylan, something comes nice. up. And and you're uh, yeah. you're a focal yeah, point of it. I'm gonna call you up, and you're gonna be on here with me and Dylan, sir. Yeah, we I'm here. we need somebody to talk about the uh, talk about the Seattle scene in the '90s because I don't know if I can get I don't know if I can inch it out of uh, inch it out of Mike here. So yeah, that, no, that'll be a good that'll be a good subject. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's a lot to talk about that there for sure. I mean, uh, yeah. when Joe was out there, I mean, we're talking about. Allison Chains. He's got he's got Allison Chains stories. Yeah. He's got uh, uh, Soundgarden, Mother Love oh, Bone. Cool. I mean, all that stuff was happening. Yeah, I've talked to all those guys, all them dudes. All right, brother, we love you. All right, man. You guys take care. It's nice meeting you, Dylan. Yep, nice nice talking to you. Thanks for uh, thanks for hopping right. on. See you later. Yep. See you. See ya. Drop the mic. All right. Thanks so much, Mike. I'll uh, go ahead and close this out while you are on your way out. But uh, thanks so much for uh, listening in. We have quite a few people actually on and listening, which is uh, some cool stuff here. I've never seen a few of these a uh, few of these places on on the air, at least uh, listening in with us. So that's some cool stuff. Um, but once again, I want to thank you all for listening. That was Rockopedia at 10 a.m. And to celebrate the kind of show that we were doing there, we will go ahead and throw on some stones with the ever so popular, at least on this show, before the they make me run right here on BCB Live.